This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Michael Barr, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast where... Nosotros like that too explore the big money issues in the world of sports today we begin with nike and tariffs and shoe companies and my oh my the trade war that's taking place with china is having issues more than 170 shoe retailers including nike under armor adidas or adidas foot locker UGG and Off-Broadway Shoe Warehouse have penned a letter to the White House asking President Trump to consider a halt in raising tariffs on footwear imported from China. How's your breathing bar? <laughs> For our listeners, you were just running from studios to studio when you came back and you were a little out of breath. I'm, you, I'm, I'm you settled a hard-working man. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I know, but you settled like You yeah. did that open. That was a lot of reading. Like you're, I'm a hard-working old I, man. I know. So you're okay? That's I was wheezing before we I, started right. the mic. But you composed yourself deep breaths and now you're yeah. good. Maybe you need better shoes, and maybe they'll get more expensive. <laughs> no, we know they're going to be more expensive, because you told us they would be more expensive. How much? Yeah, so the the White House last week laid out you know, its list of all the things in that $300 billion uh, kind of laundry list of Chinese goods that are going to be potentially getting more tariffs, more import tariffs next month. Shoes, sneakers, shoes of all sorts, footwear on the list. Uh, and this is, uh, to my knowledge, kind of the most vocal these shoe companies, these are big companies, right? Adidas, Nike, Under Armour. These are these are large companies. The most vocal they've been yet about, you know, asking the president a take footwear off the list. B explaining, and this has been controversial because President Trump has been out there saying that you know the China's going to pay for the tariffs. These companies are being adamant. You know, they're saying, listen, this is going to be paid by consumers. Yeah, your one hundred and fifty dollars sneaker is now going to be a hundred and what ninety dollars. 200 bucks? <laughs> not uh, not 200, no. How much? Something less than that. I said, well, I started at 190. Well, let's just say your $100 sneakers are going to be 125. Okay. Well, I can, I can do that math. <laughs> that's still money, man. Right, right. Yeah. That's that's significant. I, I mean, it, see, it, you got 170 shoe companies saying, don't do this. How much of an impact is this going to have on the president? Well, obviously, though, they're looking out for their own interest. People are less likely to buy these shoes if they're more expensive, I would think. So, Yeah, I think that's certainly part of it. I think another part of this may just be kind of a scare tactic, right? If you want... If you want to kind of drum up, if it matters at all, if you want to drum up kind of opposition to these tariffs from consumers, you know, sending out a big warning light, hey, listen, things you buy are going to get more expensive uh, is one way to do that. Um, but, you know, no question that, you know, the these companies vary kind of in their reliance on China. You know, if you were to go back 15 years ago, China was the dominant force in apparel and shoe manufacturing. Now, if you look at the balance sheets for these companies, it kind of totally varies. Nike only does 26% of its shoes. 
in China, Under Armour, I believe, is at 18% of its sourcing in China. Adidas is kind of right in the middle there as well. Some companies like Skechers are, are way over 50%. So it kind of all depends on the company. Um, but no question that, you know, if this 25% tariff on footwear goes through, uh, it will be filtering down to the consumer in some capacity. Bar, you got to get creative. I can, I can fix this for these companies. Oh, I want to hear this. Take away the footwear designation, put it as gag gift, and uh, tell your customers to buy these gag gifts and hang it from their mirrors in their car. If they happen to wear them on their feet, fine. Oh, tariff fraud. Good idea. What <laughs> in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Back in the day, don't tell me you didn't have something hanging from your rearview mirror in your car. The dice, the something. I had an air freshener. The tree, like the little green tree? Yeah, I had yeah. the green tree. Right. And well, then at one point, they made the air freshener look like a crown. Yeah. That that was in the hood thing. Yeah, and the, you put the, the, a lot of the taxis have. Yeah, it, and you, you had it, and you put in you put it on the dashboard. Right. By the way, and I, this is totally off topic, but we'd like to alert our our listeners to good stuff. Did you read the story about the taxi medallions in the New York Times? Mm. Mm. It's good. Yeah. It, yeah. If if you haven't out there, well reported, thoroughly researched, really really good story on sort of the inflated value and how it happened for the taxi medallions and the effects on those who then bought them at the high price. And that's part of the reason why also that the taxi drivers are upset at the Uber drivers because they got to pay all this money for the medallion. Yeah, well, the, they were point, the point of the article was the industry would point to the rideshare companies as why the problems were existing right. when, in fact, it would seem that the artificial inflation of the medallion value and predatory loans to those who were seeking to buy medallions, those were the real problems in the industry. Not Uber, not Lyft. But anyway, I just thought you know, I, I, we should alert everybody. What else we got? We got female hockey players. They're all set to form a union. More than 200 of the world's top women hockey players have formed a union saying they must stand together if there is to be any sustainable professional league. The Professional Women's Hockey Players Association said the paperwork was filed Friday of last week to help push for the creation of a single viable women's pro league in North America. And I think the key word of that is single, because you got to be all in one force. Well, I, I wouldn't say single is the, the key word there. Well, I mean, you gotta, to me, you, it's viable. You, well, <laughs> I'm not, viable. No, I'm serious. I'm not sure. It, does that give it the best chance of success? That that is only one. There's not competing leagues. Absolutely. I, I didn't mean to poke fun. I agree with you. Yeah. However, I'm not even sure just one is viable. But I guess they want to find out. Well, there's only one right now, anyway. So right. you know, single already exists. Uh, the Canadian Women's Hockey League shut down earlier this year. The National Women's Hockey League, based in the U.S., is the only one standing. And to refresh listeners, because we talked about it a couple weeks ago, um, uh, this group of 200 women, which are, include some of the best women's hockey players in the world, they announced that they would all collectively sit out this professional season. The only one left, again, is the National Women's Hockey League. They're not making a whole lot of money anyway. So. Yeah, the right. salaries for some of these women, as low as $2,000 right. a year, does not include a lot of kind of the basic health care, health insurance benefits. Um, you know, that that's probably not enough to be, a, to, to, obviously not enough to, to sustain yourself, but probably not enough to, to, to even work professional hockey on the side. Um, especially given the risks of, of a physical game like that. Uh, so this is the next step, right? This is creating a union. It may give them more bargaining power. It gives them kind of a structure to bring in potential sponsorships to help each other with training, to maybe kind of, you know, as a unit, go after some some health insurance, et cetera. Um, so this is the next step. But the big question again, yeah, Scott, you nailed it. 
does it will it work at all is it will possible, people go will people watch is it possible to bring in enough money on ticket sales on possibly media possibly from sponsorships uh to make this a viable raise process? your hand if you've been to a women's professional game you you went i have yeah really? went you out did? to uh where'd you go to floyd uh not floyd uh floyd bennett field out in brooklyn aviator Arena. aviator yeah, yeah uh, my son has played the aviator yeah, I saw them. I saw the Riveters play at uh, Chelsea Piers in Connecticut and Stanford. There you go. But see, that's the key: is that you got to get media involved. If this is televised, I bet you people will watch it. I'm not sure. They've streamed games before. Yeah. Um, I I'll watch USA and Canada. I know people watch that. You know, every time the USA plays Canada, people watch. I'm just not sure on a league basis if, if it'll happen. Another kind of piece of news in, in professional women's hockey, the Pagulas, uh, Terry and Kim Pagula, who own both the Buffalo Sabres and the Buffalo Bills, they owned the women's hockey team in Buffalo, the Buffalo Buttes. Uh, for, from what I understand, they were kind of the model franchise for the NWHL yeah. in terms of sharing ice time with the Sabres, in terms of getting you know their hands on the same kind of equipment and medical access that the Sabres got. Uh, they The Pagulas gave up the team. Um, so they are no they no longer own the Buffalo Buttes. The team, I believe, was kind of taken over by the league itself. Uh, so that is also a big loss for uh, for the NWHL. Somebody. Two kind of champion owners, and, and they haven't given a reason for why they did it, but two kind of champion owners who, who were running the model franchise within the league are also out. Mark my words, Edmund and Mr. Barr. Somebody, I don't know who the somebody is, but somebody is going to roll up women's sports teams. And whether they offer... As a sponsor, play um, someone is going to roll up women's sports. So, like a soccer, a WNBA yeah, team, and a yeah, WNHL yeah, yeah, yeah. team, and, and make a go of it. That's that's. My I could prediction. see that, and like you said, have it packaged, and yeah. one big super duper sponsor comes in, and kaboom! You just see Nike is really pushing female sales. Um, it, it, it's it's good corporate PR. Um, somebody is going to roll this up and make a, a real go of it. I would agree with that. And, and and to your point regarding Nike, you know, we're heading into the Women's World Cup in about yeah. a month now, uh, less than a month, really. Uh, there is going to be, and there is already a tremendous amount of momentum for professional women's soccer yeah. around the world. You know, there are teams that are setting women's soccer records. Mexico, Spain, France, England. Uh, it's happening all over. There's more corporate buy-in for professional women's soccer overseas than, than, we, than they've ever seen, I think. Um, I do think that this Women's World Cup is going to be kind of another step forward uh, in, 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 the, in pro promoting the business behind women's and sports. Joe Tai bought the, uh, the Liberty. The Liberty. Right. Let's see what he does with that. Yep. Moving on to the NHL. Oh, my, let's party like it's 1970 because... The St. Louis Blues have advanced to now play the Boston Bruins and the Blues. They defeated the San Jose Sharks in Game 6 to advance. Let's give a listen. They've waited 49 years, and the St. Louis Blues are going to the Stanley Cup Final. Sentimental. Two words. Bobby Bobby Orr, Orr flying through the air. Oh, absolutely, man! It's I had his hockey card. Uh, Pareko, Petrangelo. These aren't exactly household names. The St. Louis Blues, Tarasenko kind of is. Yeah, but they can play. Oh yeah, this is there's some affection to old guys like me that remember that series. Yeah, they're definitely going to watch this. Yeah, uh, and uh, Evan and I were talking before. As good as NBC could have hoped for, when you had a first round where all the top seeds were bounced and you lost sort of your marquee franchises and a lot of star players like Ovechkin and early on, 
If NBC could have plucked the two, probably. Okay, Boston in the East, St. Louis in the West. Let's have it. So they certainly got better than San Jose versus Carolina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, San Jose. I'm sorry. I'm, I don't mean to knock San Jose, but I am still angry about all those stupid calls that went in their favor. The hand pass. The, the there no was the hand, hand pass, pass. Yeah. that was never called. I don't even want to the get five into major. Yeah, yeah, on a major that never happened. It's yeah. like, you know, come on. And, and so there was a little side of me that's like, you know what? I, I know you guys are professionals, but you got too many breaks. Enough. S- some fun little stats on the on the Blues for folks who don't know. They've been to the Stanley Cup three times. Yeah. 1968, 69, and 70. They got swept in four games in all three series. So, <laughs> so they've, they've never won a Stanley Cup final game, as you guys mentioned, in 1970, swept by the Boston Bruins. Uh, also, this team this year, which is pretty remarkable, they were last place. They had the fewest points in the NHL in January. They were dead, the dead, dead last in the league in January uh, and are now you know, one of the last two teams remaining, which is, so, which is pretty impressive. Craig Berube, good for you, the coach. And I think most will tell you the big difference maker was Jordan Bennington, the young goaltender mm, coming in, nicknamed Winnington, right. as the father of a goaltender. When you see a, a guy, a young guy come in like this and just dominate. I mean, go look at his numbers. It's ridiculous. On the other side of the puck, Tuka. Tuka. Oh, Tuka Rask is playing unbelievably well. Yeah, I mean, the, the you've got, of course, Marshawn, right. Bergeron, Pasternak. The, the, this, that's a probably... Arguably the best line in hockey. I hate to, to, again, I know everybody's got their opinions, but I, as long as that whole line stands up, I think this might be another four sweep. Oof. I wasn't hear that I can hear NBC executive. Yeah. Uh, I know. I, I'm sure we're right going to get some calls, but I, I just. <laughs> the puck just dropped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Boston, like you said, I mean, they're playing unbelievable. So. so St. Louis. So St. Louis ba- is a good team. Boston's a minus 155 favorite as we record this. So a, sl- a slight favorite from, from the series standpoint if you're if you're a gambler out there. Um, and just a reminder, I know we say this a lot. If you're NBC, ratings have been good so far in the playoffs mm-hmm. despite the fact that a lot of big teams were eliminated early. Uh, but if you're NBC, you just want a long series, right? E- yeah, you don't either care team winning in four or five games is bad. Yeah. Either team winning in seven games is fantastic. You need six or seven games no matter which way it goes. By the way, talking about gambling, right at the beginning of the season, St. Louis Blues, if you bet for the St. Louis Blues to win the Stanley Cup, and they do win the Stanley Cup, there were some mighty fun odds for you. So... Let's see what I'm sure there are a lot of gamblers out there that did that, and let's see what happens there. There is a guy. There's a guy, a St. Louis fan, right, who who put four hundred dollars on this team at two fifty to one, I think, back yeah. in January. Yeah, turned down forty grand for the ticket so far on right? prop swap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know that that guy's going to be enjoying, uh, <laughs> either really enjoying or uh, or, or, or really He's crazy not enjoying for turning down the forty. Oh really? He's going to win a hundred thousand dollars. He's the not going to. No, I still, yeah, I still got to think the. <clears throat> excuse me, that the Bruins are going to win this. I would assume he's going to hedge this in some capacity. But I if would you hope just so. go off the odds. The forty thousand is not enough I, to no, buy that you, ticket. No, he'd right need now. more. Yeah. But still, I take it. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scott Soshnick, one of the greatest, and Abby Noby Williams, Ooh. another great one. Whoa, thank you. That was Very a little. Nice. Uh, yeah, I did that off the cuff. We are here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We explore the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week when we speak with someone who's actually one of the greatest, uh, Indy 500 yeah. racer. Racer or dancer. Helio Castroneves. And you know who's another great one? Our producer, Medina. One of no, the greatest. The greatest. The greatest. We're putting her up top. All right. I'm with you. Okay. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online where you get your podcasts. <laughs> 